I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and today we're going to be in John chapter 1. Now, as we've been studying, this book is not actually a book. It's a library. It's got 66 books in it, and so uh, I totally understand if John may be difficult to find for you. So let me give you some clues if you're not sure how to locate it. Uh, If you're in a physical Bible, uh, I always just encourage, just go to the table of contents. That is the easiest way uh, to locate a book amongst the 66 that are contained uh, within this library. Uh, Now, John, you're going to find, is in the big section called the New Testament. It's the fourth book in. So find the New Testament in your table of contents. Four books down is John. Go to that page. Very first chapter is where we're going to begin. Now, if you're in an app, just pull down the list of the books of the Bible, uh, and there you're going to find that John is uh, roughly two-thirds of the way down that list. So you can go there Um, for John chapter 1. Now, I've really enjoyed this series. I've loved unpacking the ideas of how to take this library that reveals God to us in many ways and how to study it, how to read it, how to dig into it in a way that honors God's intentions for the use and study of this library. And so very quickly, I want to cover the verse that we, we've been uh, using every single week, kind of our theme verse, and then I want to do a recap very quickly. So first, our theme verse has been Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I have said week after week, but especially the first two weeks, this passage teaches us that the word applies, God's word applies to all of our life. The the immediate steps that are right in front of us, like a lamp that you would carry, a lantern, it, it illuminates the path right in front of us And God's word does that. It illuminates the path, the direction, that helps us understand the decisions that we should be making and the direction we should be going. But God's word is also like a great light, like the sun that illuminates everything so that you can know the big picture, but most of all, so that you can know God. This entire library is all about God, his love for you, and his desire for you to, what the Bible calls, abide in him, for you to be in a relationship that changes your life, a relationship with Jesus. And so let me do a quick recap of everything we've discussed in this series. First off, we've talked about the importance of uh, being involved in some kind of Bible study community. You were not designed by God to study his word in isolation. You were designed by God to study his word in the midst of other people, bouncing ideas and receiving correction for any ideas that you may express that aren't biblical. That's healthy. That's, that's good. Uh, and we talked about also the importance of God's Holy Spirit in helping us to understand uh, and for God's word to be revealed to us as we study it, as we read it. Now, as we kind of think through that, one of the aspects is that when you go to God uh, through his word, I encourage you to always just take a moment and ask the Lord through his Holy Spirit to help you understand what you're about to study. The Holy Spirit is a key factor in interpreting God's word. 
Then we kind of talked about the different elements that should be considered when we sit down to study God's word. The first one being that, that the, this book, uh, this library has 66 books, but all 66 ultimately have the same author. They were all authored by God himself. And he used men throughout history, uh, 40 some odd men actually, uh, to write down the words that God wanted them to write down in this library. Uh, so with one author, this entire library also has a unified story and it agrees with itself. Uh, there, there's not a set of documents in all of history that were written by 40 some odd authors that spanned a thousand years and, and involved all of these intricacies and yet it completely agrees with itself. There's that, that library does not exist except here. And so one author, one unified story. Then we, we talked about the importance of understanding what's taking place historically in what you're reading. Uh, and I unpacked a few passages and explained the importance of how to uh, see the history and how that a history actually can help uh, understand or maybe even change the interpretation of a passage, the meaning that was intended by God for us to understand. We talked about how we're never supposed to read a passage without understanding what is said before and what is said after that passage, what we call reading something in context. So always read a passage, understanding what has been said before and what is said after that passage so that you know, you understand what the intent of the author might be, but also know the full context of this library. Know the big story. Uh, know what is taking place from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between so that you can understand how Scripture interprets Scripture. There are so many passages that are misunderstood, and if people would simply interpret those difficult passages with the Bible itself, they clear themselves up. Uh, and then we spoke about last week the importance of understanding the literature style that you're reading, whether it's poetry or uh, historical records or a law code or wisdom sayings or whatever, because when you understand what kind of literature, what type of literature you're reading, it will influence how you interpret what you're reading. Uh, we unpacked some things, some nuances, some interesting little tidbits about the languages that the Bible were, was ori originally written in. So for example, the Old Testament was almost completely written in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. Uh, and so when we go back and we read some of these passages in the original Hebrew and Greek, it opens new light to the meaning, to, to the intent of the author when we read those passages. So this is the last in, in this series, and I, I'm sad to see it go. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope you have too. But how does this apply then to our study of God's word. Thinking back to uh, my kind of synopsis, my, my wrapping up, my rehashing of where we've been in this message series, how do we apply that? Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to that passage that I told you to turn to, John chapter one. Now, uh, as you're turning there, I try to always give you some context, some history, some literature, uh, what's going on with the languages when I read a passage in one of my messages. 
So let's do that today. Let's apply some of what I've taught uh, over the last several weeks to interpreting John chapter one, verses one through three. Now, what is the historical setting? When, uh, when is this written? Who is it written by? What's going on? Who's his audience? All those things. So this book is written by John. Now, John was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. Jesus had his 12 disciples, but then he had three that he was particularly close to, and John was one of those three. And John, uh, according to historical record, was probably the last living of the apostles. The disciples become the apostles, or get called the apostles after Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. So John is an apostle. He's probably the longest living apostle. Most of the apostles at the time of the, read, the writing of John uh, are probably, most of them have already passed away. Now, John is writing specifically to a group of churches, uh, more than likely, that are found uh, in what is today modern-day Turkey. And these churches would have had a mixture of Jewish people that had become believers in Jesus and, and non-Jewish people, what, what the Bible calls Gentiles. Um, this would have been a mix. The, the churches would have been a mix of these Jewish people and non-Jewish people. And so when you go and read John, you'll find places where he talks about some Jewish word or Jewish concept and he'll pause for a moment in his writing and explain it so that his non-Jewish audience can understand it. Now, he's writing this passage or, or this book later in life. Um, you know, we're, we're thinking somewhere around 60, 70 AD uh, is what's taking place. So, so keep all those things in mind. I'll unpack a few more of them here in just a, a moment. But let's read John 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, in English, this sounds kind of clunky, but in the original Greek language that this was written in, it would have been very poetic and would have sounded very beautiful. Now, I wanna point out a couple things and help you understand why understanding the culture and the history and all these different things matters when you interpret a passage like this. So look at the first three words of John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning. Now, why was... Why point out these three words? Well, John is writing to these churches who have some Jewish believers, Jewish followers of Jesus in their midst. Now, when if you were a Jewish person and you heard the words in the beginning, your mind would have automatically shot to Genesis 1, which Genesis 1 verse 1, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. The first words of Genesis are in the beginning. And so as a Jewish reader or listener, you would have heard John say, in the beginning was the word, and your mind would have automatically shot to Genesis 1. So, so as a Jewish follower of Jesus, you're hearing these words and you're starting to connect creation in Genesis and Jesus together because of the, the, these three words that John uses. All right, so this Jewish reader would have automatically made this connection. Now, now, 
in these three verses, John repeatedly refers to Jesus as the word. Now, in Greek, this is logos. And you may have heard of logos before, that word being used. It's actually commonly used in business settings and, and uh, you know, uh, leadership seminars and things like that. But, but this is a Greek word that held a lot of background, a, a lot of meaning besides just word, just translating it to word. You know, John writes this as a title for Jesus. And just as a side note, if you were to go and study about this passage, John is the only New Testament writer that refers to Jesus as the word. So he refers to Jesus as the word here in John, and then he refers to Jesus in the book of Revelation. So John wrote the book of John and the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 19, verse 13, it says, he, meaning Jesus, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. So first off, John's the only one, only New Testament writer that refers to Jesus as the word. But why would this been important? Again, remember the audience and the time frame. He's writing to churches that have a mixture of Jewish people and non-Jewish people. If you were a Jewish person, Logos had a very deep meaning. You see, uh, in their Greek translations of the Old Testament, the, what they would have referred to as the Hebrew Bible, in, in their Greek translations, God is referred to as word sometimes, but word more importantly was the primary way that God connected to his people. Think about it for a second. If you go into Genesis chapter one, what did God use? What was his instrument by which he created? It was, the, it was his words. He created the universe and everything in it by speaking words. Uh, but then also everything that God did to guide his people were through words given to prophets. And so these prophets would receive a, a, a message from God and would tell the people. So Lagos is the connecting way, the, the connection that God uses between him and his people. And so the Jewish reader would have heard in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. They would have heard this and immediately made a connection to the way that God connects with his people and to the way God created the universe. But if you were a Greek hearer, it, reader, then, then Logos had even, even, an even more deeper meaning. You see, in Greek belief, uh, in that world, in that day and age, the Greeks believed that Logos was actually a force. Uh, it was a force of reasoning. Um, specifically in Stoicism, Stoicism believed that Logos was not just reason, but it was a force that structured and organized all of the universe that without Logos, life would not exist. And so Logos is this very philosophical and deep meaning word. And so John used that very intentionally because Logos connected both to his Jewish listeners and his Greek listeners. And, and if you read this passage, John is clearly teaching his readers that Jesus is first off the eternal creator, that he brings order to everything in the universe and he brings meaning 
to everything in the universe. You'll find that if you continue reading through the book of John, that, that this eternal creator, you know, he's already built this foundation that there's this eternal, all-powerful creator called the word, and that this creator is the force that, that created and brought life and holds everything together and brings meaning to uh, us. But if you continue reading, you find out also that this word, this force, this God loves you. I mean, you only have to go, you know, three chapters in. You get into John chapter three and John immediately begins to unpack this idea that God loves everyone. This infinite, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, perfect God who created the universe loves each and every one of us, loves you as an individual. And let me just say, before I go any further, I, I don't just say that, I mean that. God loves you. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior, I want you to hear this. Jesus loves you so much that even though he was this infinite creator God, he loves you so much that, that he came to this earth and he humbled himself to the point that he was willing and did die on a cross, which was a horrific death in that day and age. He was willing and did die on a cross so that you could be rescued from your sins. You see, your sin, your disobedience, all the times that you knew the right thing you were supposed to do and you didn't do it, that's sin. And your sin, my sin, has condemned us. It has placed us in slavery to itself and its ultimate goal is to lead us to eternal punishment and death. But when Jesus came, he died on a cross to rescue you from the slavery and death that sin brings. And he extends that rescue to you. He died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave, definitively proving that he was and is God's son, the word, the, the infinite God creator of the universe. And then he ascended into heaven. He sits in heaven and he is in your life if you believe in him. And he wants to rescue you from that eternal punishment, that eternal death that sin is condemning you to. He wants to rescue you from that and instead give you eternal life in him. An eternal, perfect existence. And if you wanna know more about Jesus, if you've got questions about what I'm talking about, I know that uh, this is not a full explanation. If you wanna know more, if you've got questions, I want you to do something. I want you to reach out to us. In the post of this video, uh, there's a link to the contact us page on our website. Click that link, go over to the contact us page, fill out that short form there. And when I receive your information, uh, I will reach out to you. I'd love to do a phone call with you or if you're in the area, take you to coffee or lunch or something. But uh, either way, I would love the opportunity to answer any questions that you may have about Jesus. So please don't hesitate to go to the contact us page on our website and reach out to us. We would love to have that conversation because Jesus loves you. And I don't just mean that as a cliche. He truly loves you and paid 
the ultimate price out of his love to rescue you from your sins. So reach out. I'd love to talk to you about what that means. So we've talked through John chapter one and how understanding the history understanding the words in the original languages and how uh, the people who spoke those original languages would have listened, heard, and interpreted those words, why there's value in that. Uh, and we've been talking about this for weeks. So, so we've been talking about how to study and how not to study your Bible, but how do you even start? Many of you watching or listening right now have never read your Bible, or maybe you've never had a good habit. Maybe you've picked it up and stuck with it for a week or two, uh, and then it's died off. So how do you e begin a good, regular habit of studying God's Word? Let me give you just a few quick pointers. First, I would recommend you schedule a time in your day to do this. Set an alarm in your phone, put it on your calendar, set it as a reminder that's gonna go off uh, at a certain time in the day that you will be able to stop and sit down and study your Bible. Uh, and I recommend maybe starting with something small and working your way up. Maybe it's 15 minutes every day. Maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 20. Whatever you wanna start with, do something realistic. And if you find that 20 minutes is a little too much for you at this beginning stage, drop down to 15 or 10. But schedule it. Put a reminder in your device. Do something so that you're regularly doing this in a scheduled way. Secondly, pick a book in the Bible to begin with. I always recommend either Matthew or John. Uh, but pick a book of the Bible to begin with or pick a study plan or a devotional that you can find uh, that, that you can study God's word along with. Um, I'll, I'll give you some websites and resources here in just a moment that have tons of those kind of study plans and devotionals. So schedule a time, pick a book or pick a, a, a Bible study that you're gonna do. Uh, thirdly, decide on the format that you're gonna do it. You know, we've got physical Bibles, we've got apps that you can read on, but one of the cool things today is that most of the really good Bible apps that we have out there today, you can listen to the Bible audibly. Um, so one of the things that we do as a family is we will listen while we're in the car. Like when I take my boys to school in the morning, uh, we'll listen to the Bible and we'll listen to a Bible study um, and, and just unpack the Bible. And we'll stop and we'll talk about what's been discussed in that particular Bible study. So I, I encourage you, whether it's picking up a physical Bible or your app or even listening to God's word. It's not so important what the format is as long as you're ingesting, as long as you're taking in God's word. And lastly, my last encouragement, and this goes back to something I said the very first week, it's great to sit and study your Bible at home or, or wherever you're at and do, to do that daily but you cannot study God's word properly in isolation. You, you really, really need to get connected to some kind of church and group, uh, some kind of life group, some kind of small group, some kind of Sunday school, whatever that is. Get involved with some kind of church and a group in that church to study God's word in the context of other believers so that you can hear new ideas and, and new things from them and that quite frankly, if you say something or express something that's not biblical, not correct, you can have somebody in your life through that small group, 
through that Sunday school, through that life group that is going, wait, 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 that's not actually right. Let me gently correct you here. But, but you are not made to live out your faith by yourself. You were designed by God to live out your faith in the midst of other believers through a church and a group. And on a side note, we're going to start uh, life group signups here at this church next week. Uh, and so if you're interested in getting involved, reach out to us and we would love to get you connected to a, a small group, whether online or in person. So how do you start? Schedule a time, schedule it, put it on your calendar. Secondly, begin by picking a book of the Bible or some kind of study plan or devotional. Thirdly, decide on the format you're gonna use, whether it's a physical Bible or an app or listening to it audibly. And fourth, get involved with a group of some kind and study God's word in the midst of a community. Now, that's some pointers on how to get started. Now here are some resources that might help you. Uh, I'm gonna put on screen uh, several resources. I'm gonna talk about them. I'm gonna leave this graphic up here. Uh, I'm gonna give you five resources today that, that I think are easy to access and really great tools to use for you to dig deeper into your study of God's word. So the first one is a website called BibleGate.com. Dot com or biblegateway.com. Biblegateway.com has tons of resources all located in one place. You, you've got multiple versions of the Bible that you can pick from. You can compare versions side by side. They've got reading plans and devotionals, and they've got other Christian books that you can refer to. Um, they've got uh, study Bibles that you can go and look at and, and different things like that. They have a free version and they have a paid version. And let me just say, the paid version is 50 bucks a year, which is super, super cheap. I mean, if you just avoided one cup of, you know, coffee shop coffee for 10 months out of the year, just once, once a month, for 10 months, it would be paid for and some. So uh, this is very reasonably priced. Um, and if you pay the $50 a year, they give you tons of study Bibles and all the notes that come in them to access. They have Bible encyclopedias and commentaries. Now commentaries are uh, books that uh, theologians, Bible scholars have written commenting on what the meaning of a passage and the background of a passage may be. They've got maps and they've got word dictionaries for the languages and the words that you come across. They've just got so much on biblegateway.com and I would recommend you pay the $50 and get access to all of their resources. It's so cheap, so easy to use. So biblegateway.com, that's the first one. The second resource that I would recommend is Logos. Uh, they have a website, but they've also got an excellent app. Uh, again, Logos comes with free or paid versions. Uh, the paid versions can get very, very expensive, uh, but they've got libraries of books and commentaries and different things to look into. But the free version, you can look up the uh, original languages in the passage that you're reading in. And so uh, there's a lot of resources like that in Logos that you can uh, use and do. Um, again, the biggest advantage to Logos over like BibleGateway.com is Logos's app is excellent. If you're wanting something that you can pull up on your device um, and look at stuff in the moment, Logos is really, really good for that. Uh, thirdly, 
Um, there's an app called YouVersion. Uh, they're computer website is bible.com. This is an excellent app. They've got uh, uh, Bibles on the go, so you can, uh, you know, have multiple versions of the Bible that you can uh, pull up and read. This one has an excellent audio Bible. Almost every version that they have on YouVersion has an audio version available, so you can listen audibly to the Bible uh, and read at the same time. Um, They have... uh, studies on uh, reading plans and devotionals that you can access. And they've got hundreds of them for all different interests and ages and, and demographics. And so they've got tons of stuff like that. Uh, YouVersion is free. Um, it, it's an excellent, excellent resource. Great app. I would highly recommend it. The fourth one is The Bible Project. You can Google them or find them on YouTube. Uh, I've mentioned this before. They make videos uh, for uh, every book of the Bible. First off, an intro video that tells you the history, what's going on, the flow of that book, the themes of that book, uh, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, They also have videos on various key words and terms that are repeatedly found through scripture and various themes and and theologies that are found in scripture. Uh, So I highly recommend just go to their website or their YouTube page and just start watching some of these very high quality videos on the Bible. Lastly, I mentioned uh, a week ago, I recommend a good study Bible for everyone who's gonna read the Bible. This is almost like a basic level uh, of what you need to study God's word and, and understand the history. A study Bible is going to, uh, at the beginning of every book of the Bible, they're going to give you a history, when it was written, who it was written by, uh, what the, was going on in the world and in that culture. Uh, they're going to give you tons and tons of background. They're going to tell you what the flow of the book is uh, and, and different themes and things like that. But then as you read through, they're also going to have uh, explanations for almost every verse or idea that you find as you read through that book. Um, so a good study Bible is absolutely essential uh, to good study of his word. Now, I've given you tons of resources. I've given you step-by-step on how to get things started. But why? What's the point of doing this? Why did I spend time in this series? Well, first off, it was fun. (laughs) But, But secondly, the point is to get you to study God's word, just get you in the Bible. I, I began this series with this illustration uh, about going to a restaurant after church or something, and you're talking about Pastor Chad's message, and the person in the booth behind you leans over and says, I don't mean to eavesdrop, but I love Pastor Chad. And so you guys get to talking about church and, and me, and they, you ask them about me, and they begin to describe a six foot three guy with long flowing blonde hair uh, and devastatingly handsome. Uh, you know, I, the, the intro was, was to make you laugh and think through. Clearly, who they're describing is not me. I'm not six foot three, no matter what the camera may do to my appearance. I d- definitely don't have long blonde hair. I am pretty handsome, though, so there is that. But as a side, if they described me that way, they either have the wrong Chad or they don't truly know me very well. Hear me clearly, if you want to know God, you must know his word. He reveals himself to us through this library. And this is the only true way to get to know God at the level that I hope you would like to know God. 
And so we do this, we study God's word, we teach you how to study God's word because we want you to know God, know God truly the way he wants you to know him. So I hope you've enjoyed this series. I sure have. We're gonna start next week. We're gonna have a, a discussion about what the Bible says about how we as a church should lead. And we're gonna do that for a couple of weeks. So uh, I look forward to that series. But will you join me now as we go to the Lord in prayer in closing? Almighty God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom, the knowledge, but most of all, thank you that it helps us to know you better. We thank you for this opportunity to be here today. And Lord, we pray that you would help us in all that we do. Help us to have a habit of reading your word. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.